What I really like about fair play as a tool is that it's not about an equal division. It doesn't mean, okay, well, I did that, you do this, then we flip flop, whatever it is. It just has to feel fair, not necessarily 50-50, but fair. When your child is exhibiting any type of difficult behaviors, things like hitting, biting, tantrums, or even just having overwhelming emotions like a fear of the dark that's keeping them from staying in their bed through the night, I'm always trying to help parents reframe their approach from being me versus my kid to being me and my kid versus the problem. This small but impactful shift not only realigns you to become bonded as a team, but this feeling of closeness and connection that results from this is more effective for managing whatever problem you're facing. And we can do this exact same strategy with our partners as well. So joining me today to talk about Eve Rodsky's fair play method and how to create an equitable division of labor inside of a household, whether it's managing the home or the family life, and doing this without feeling constantly pitted against your partner, but actually in collaboration with them, is Lauren Tedenbaum. Lauren is an advocate and therapist certified in perinatal mental health, and she specializes in life transitions affecting women and it's such a good conversation. So if you are feeling overwhelmed and overworked with domestic or caregiving tasks, this episode, reviewing strategies and techniques for rethinking how you manage a household in a way that feels right to you and your partner in an equitable way, might just be the key that you need to take that first step towards rebalancing your role and reducing your feelings of burnout. Because I know I have them too. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey, and distilled everything down into easy to understand and actionable parenting insights, so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hi, everyone. We are so lucky to have Lauren Tattenbaum here today. She's going to talk to us all about what it's like to be a mom, what it's like to carry the load, and also find equity in our parenting relationships. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Hi, everybody. So... You have a practice, you know, we kind of float in the same therapy circles. I have been seeing the work that you've been doing for a while. I'm really glad that you are coming on to talk about it. How how did you get interested in this type of work? How did you kind of get into the fair play model? Yeah. Um, So like you said, we are both Westchester, New York-based therapists and moms of two. And we have a lot in common, in particular, the interest and passion of working with families with young kids. Um, My focus is really on maternal mental health. And I would say that half my clients are moms, whether they're in the postpartum period or transitioning back to work or just living their lives as working moms. And the other half of my clientele are young women and in their 20s. Um, I came into this work in a nonlinear fashion, 
Growing up, I always wanted to advocate for women. And I thought that the best way to do that would be to go to law school, which I did right after college. Didn't like it. So I also got my master's in social work and I've been licensed as a social work since 2011. I did work in the legal industry for over a decade, but upon becoming a mom, I felt like my passion really lied with supporting other women and working parents. And over a series of events throughout the pandemic, I decided to pivot, go into clinical work, focusing specifically on women and moms. Amazing. Amazing. And how did, um, how does the fair play model play into all of this? And and maybe explain what it is because people are like, what's fair play? Yes. So I know that um, most people can't see, but I do have the deck of cards and the book here with me. Fair Play is a book by Eve Rodsky, who's also a former lawyer and a mom. And she wrote it in 2019 and I read it in 2020. I want to say it was the early days of the pandemic. And I felt seen and heard because Mm. she was talking about the inequities that women in our culture face as moms, even if they're the primary breadwinner in their home, even if their partner, if they have one, had said from the outset, this will be an equitable partnership, parent, co-parent dynamic. She found through a series of interviews and a lot of research that women were bearing the load, the invisible load, the mental load, and it was exhausting them. And when I read it, I felt so validated and I wanted to shout it from the rooftops. (laughs) And I pretty much do that now um, through my practice, my work, and I work closely with the Fair Play team at Hello Sunshine in training other mental health professionals and executive coaches in the method. Amazing. So can you break down a little bit of like what the sort of tenets of Fair Play are? Absolutely. So Fair Play is designed for households. I'm going to use heteronormative language and say mom and dad, husband, wife, but truly this can be applied to any household dynamic in which people are sharing caregiving or domestic tasks. I have used it before with sisters, with roommates. Mm -hmm. So I do want to point that out. But for the purpose of just kind of having this conversation, I'll, I'll kind of use mom and dad. Although again, it's not only for parents. Fairplay is a system in which there are mutually agreed upon expectations of who's doing what and what that means. And Eve made it into a really fun, accessible game through the deck of cards in which there are 100 household tasks like laundry, like doing the dishes, like packing lunch, like making the kids doctor's appointments. And the idea of the system is that you sit down with your partner or your mother or your roommate, et cetera, et cetera, and you say, what does doing the dishes mean to you? What does it mean to me? You come to a mutually agreed upon expectation of what that is. And then one person is assigned to do that task from conception through planning through execution. So they own it in full. It's Mm -hmm. not just mom delegating, I ordered the stuff, go pick it up, right? It's saying that mom will handle this task from beginning to end, but then dad will handle whatever else you agree upon. I love that. And I think that that's, you know, and we can really talk about this a lot, but I think that addresses the mental load piece because I think sometimes we forget that 
tasks are not just the execution of a task. They're not just doing the dishes or Mm -hmm. going to the grocery store, right? They're, if I'm the one that goes to the grocery store, I'm also the one that is always having like a running checklist in my mind of what food's in the fridge, what's about to expire, what do we need to make sure we eat now because it's going to go bad, what do we, what are we running low on, what do the kids need to bring on their, you know, is it a birthday coming up and they need to bring cupcakes to school. All the things that I'm holding in my brain, my mental load, Mm -hmm. that nobody else sees. You know, a lot of times we refer to it as like the invisible work. Exactly. And so somebody might think, oh, I went to the grocery store for my partner. I took that off their list. But what did you perhaps do to get to the grocery, like to, when, before you got to the grocery store? You probably said, I'm going to the grocery store. What do we need? Mm-hmm. And so you're downloading that person's mental load and the labor that they have always been, you, you know, spending. And you are just taking the physical task off their hand, but you are not taking the mental load off. So I, yeah. this sounds like it speaks exactly to that. Exactly. And like I said before, even in households where you have the best of intentions, because of cultural expectations, it has been found that women still bear the brunt of this load. And so we can't just kind of take things for granted and say, oh, well, you know, he wants to help and he is going to the grocery store. We do really need to sit down and divide up the work because it is work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, like, you know, obviously there are also tasks, you know, where I'm, you know, mowing the lawn, for example, mm-hmm. or, you know, I'm trying to think of another example that is, could be considered kind of, it's, it's a lot of work to do, mm-hmm. but the stress of it, the, the actual emotional and physical stress of it is kind of for a lot of people, perhaps maybe like relaxing. Like I get to listen to my music and get some fresh air. I can get in the zone. I'm not being interrupted 15 times when I'm doing this. Right. Whereas if the task is bath time, Mm -hmm. it's loud. It's got, it's, you're getting splashed. Like, you know, you've got to get them, you got to wrangle the kids in. You got to convince them to get out. You got to clean up afterwards. And it's, it's a, it's a very high stress for a lot of families task. And so one parent is like, well, I mowed the lawn. And the other parent's like, well, I did the bath time, but who is like expending more energy and who's feeling more stress at the end of that task. And it's not to say that like, there, there's more or less value in either one. But I think sometimes we forget that like there's there's also like more fallout and like ripple effects. Mm-hmm. Um, like so the the over the the sort of total amount of stress that one experiences based on what tasks they are doing. And oftentimes when you have kids, the tasks that are related to the kids are the ones that are more stressful and more overstimulating. So, yeah, they require more emotional labor. And studies have shown that men, while they may actively participate in household duties, they do tend to do the kind of lawn mowing tasks that involve independence, right? Um, it's they have a little more freedom in there. 
Mm-hmm. And what I really like about fair play as a tool is that it's not about an equal division. It doesn't mean, okay, well, I did that, you do this, then we flip up, whatever it is. It just has to feel fair, not necessarily 50-50, but fair. And there's also flexibility within that to say, you know what, I've been doing bath for a while. I need a break. So why don't we, you know, reverse it or whatever you might mm-hmm. want to do. Yeah. And I think that's interesting too, because I imagine what feels fair to one partnership would look totally different in another partnership. So there's like a lot of subjectivity to it. Absolutely. And that can change day to day, right? Um, So Eve likes to suggest weekly check-ins. When I work with couples on this method, I also suggest weekly check-ins or every two weeks, depending on their communication styles. Everything is subjective. Everything is based on personal preferences, logistics. Maybe someone doesn't get home, you know, from work until later. And so they don't have access to certain tasks during the week. Um, So it's malleable, but it does take into account that we all really do need to do our part to assert our needs Mm. and stick with them. So stick with our values, right? So that it feels fair. Yeah. That's a, and that's another thing that I think is worth talking about is like it's hard to know what your needs are. It's hard like a lot of times when I like talk about the invisible work when I'm working with couples. A lot of times people are like, "Oh my god, you're right. I do have a lot of inv- like I didn't even think about the fact that I like, we don't as a society like really teach people what invisible work is. We just kind of take it for granted. Um, and it tends to be primarily and historically the, the sort of maternal responsibility for a lot of it. Um, household tasks have lived in the domain of like the, the mother. Um, obviously that is changing a lot now and in, in a great and important way. But I think that's, we're seeing the very, very tip of that wave. Like we're not, this is not, this has not revolutionized the world yet. We live in a world where there are still a lot of, um, not just expectations that are antiquated, but our own awareness of how much we participate in these roles is limited. Like we're not kind of having these conversations that women or men are, are made to kind of appreciate the invisible load, which then makes it very difficult to ask for what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, COVID brought about a lot of changes in the workplace, right? And flexibility and people working from home. And increasingly, there have also been more open discussions about policies like paid leave um, for you know any kind of parent, which is all wonderful. But we have a ways to go. Um, Just recently, there was a conversation. uh, I won't slander the the person who said it, but basically um, the head of a very big financial institution to whom a lot of people look for guidance on the industry made a comment on how women did need the opportunity for some flexibility. In that comment, he's making the assumption that it's the woman who's the default, or as Eve says, the she-fault parent. And his point, I think, was or should have been for parents or for anyone, right, to have flexibility to engage in caregiving. Mm -hmm. But he, like many of us do, 
assume that it's going to be the woman in charge of the caregiving, the domestic work. And we see that reflected in popular culture, in commercials for, you know, cooking, cleaning. That is changing, but we have a ways to go. Yeah. And I mean, we see it in kids' toys, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the precursor to their internalized, you know, sense of these imbalances. And you know, how many kids are getting, how many boys are getting aprons and cooking sets? Probably a lot more nowadays. Yes. Um, at least in like the, I would guess that the people listening to this podcast are pretty, um, there are some pretty progressive parents in this, in this audience, in this community. And I actually don't think you need to be progressive to get your son an apron and a cooking set. But I do think they're also becoming more educated consumers of the kind of marketing. Um, but I do think we, you know, we have to watch the way that we inadvertently indoctrinate the generation that's to come because that's how we got it. It came in subliminally. Yeah. And it's, again, it's everywhere. Um, even in the terminology, there's a lot of, you know, young class kids, sorry, classes for young kids in the neighborhood. And they're often called mommy and me. I love mom's groups. I love when women get together, but to call them mommy and me connotes that it's going to be mommy doing the caregiving. Mm -hmm. What if your daddy, what if your cousin, whatever it is, right? And so I always say, and I do say, because I'm a very loud and proud advocate, I suggest to the venue, how about you change it to caregiver and kid or whatever it is, right? To be more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think too, like it might be worth kind of, I mean, I know we were talking kind of as a disclaimer that we were going to talk, you know, present this in, in terms of heteronormative relationships for the simplicity of the conversation. But realistically, like you, there is the same inequity in, in, in heterosexual relationships. It's, it's a role of the default parent, right? And it can create a lot of tension and it's not necessarily because it's the woman, because the default parent might be one of two dads. The default parent might be a dad in a heterosexual relationship. The default parent might be a mom in a homosexual relationship. Like, so it's very interesting to make this distinction that like default parenthood is one, it's, it's okay to be a default parent. There usually is one. Um, but I guess what, maybe there's a distinction here to be made between the primary parent and the default parent. Like what's the, what would you, would you distinguish those two things? So a couple thoughts on that. Um, Eve's research found that while you're right, when someone in a partnership kind of assumes the the primary caregiver, let's say, role, um, yes, of course, that comes along with a lot of expectations that are typically what we're talking about when we talk about the mom's work, right? Um, but she found in her research that among homosexual couples, there was better communication around what was expected from each person regarding each task. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it boils down to, right? Communicating your expectations. And that's something that we want to see in all of relationship dynamics. Yeah. When it comes to default parent, primary parent, Um, Given my legal background, I personally am sensitive to the term primary parent, primary caregiver, because we see that a lot in parental leave policies. And it always troubled me because if you're giving the primary caregiver more time of paid leave, Mm -hmm. 
that person automatically becomes the primary caregiver, right? And in our culture, that's typically the birth mother. And so from literally the day that the baby, you know, arrives, mom is considered the primary caregiver. She's the one who's going to know the baby's routines better, et cetera. And dad, you know, has to go back to work very soon. And from the beginning, mom is the default. Now, practically, sometimes there needs to be a primary. For example, on the school form, there has to be, you know, who's who's the first call, who's the second call. Arguably, as Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, you can alternate calls or not. You can say, please call mom or please call dad, whatever you want. But the whole point about fair play is that we shouldn't make assumptions on who that person mm-hmm. will be. And in my opinion, primary, secondary, I don't love that term, but mm-hmm. I guess I would say, you know, I'm okay with using it in, in very specific contexts. I don't think there should always be one primary unless right. that's what they decided. Right. And I think it's the choice, right? And mm-hmm. that for me, when I'm thinking of a distinction between default and primary, maybe it's semantics, but I'm thinking default means we didn't even plan it. It just mm-hmm. happened. Like it's a very like, oops, there we go. We did it right. again. Um, whereas primary to me in my, in my, the way I'm using it in my head is like, these are the roles that we chose based mm-hmm. on our particular family dynamic. So exactly. not because I'm defaulted to, but because in our balance of the share of the work, I have the time to do this and this is my role and it might shift, right? Like I was the primary parent, primary caregiver of my children when they were infants Mm -hmm. and throughout probably the first two years of their life, each of them, because I was breastfeeding, I was doing a lot of things and I had shifted my work to allow me to do that. Mm -hmm. Once my kids got older Mm -hmm. and my working situation changed, in part due to COVID and in part due to choices that me and my husband made together as a family, Mm -hmm. I became the secondary caregiver. And he is functionally the primary caretaker from a planned, Mm -hmm. you know, from how we divide the childcare labor. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not the same thing as a primary attachment figure. Right. And we could talk about that. Not to say that my children are not deeply attached to their dad. They are. Mm -hmm. Um, But somehow they're, and actually as they get older, I think it also shifts. But Mm -hmm. when your children are little, typically the primary attachment figure is the mom, not because um, they're more important or that relationship is more important, but typically because of the physical aspect of how a mother cares for their child. And in heterosexual relationships that don't have a mother mm-hmm. or maybe that have two mothers, it's really the person who's doing a lot of the physical caregiving of the mm-hmm. infant, right? That's going to create that attachment figure. That's that primary attachment figure. But um, it's interesting. Like we, my family chose to do this a and choice. it shifted. Mm-hmm. And so I think but default is different to me because it's like I still carry some of the mental load of the stuff kind of by default because sometimes we forget to think about it. 
Right. No, I think you're absolutely right. It comes down to choice and again, to communication. Um, I have one client who uses terminology she came up with on her own, which is, well, I'm taking the lead on the weekend activities. And my husband's taking the lead. She says, take the lead, which I really like. Um, And again, that allows for movement, for shifting. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also this idea of like, those are tasks, right? We take the lead on tasks. We don't take the lead on roles. And maybe we need to get out of thinking about roles and more into thinking about this sort of task. And I think that's what Fair Play kind of strives to do, right? Like the more we sort of reorient ourselves to the tasks, we can reconfigure the roles and it's sort of like, that's the byproduct. Yeah. And it's it's fun, truly, because it also allows people to start small. Um, you know, when we're working with people who are overwhelmed to say, we're going to shift your entire family dynamic and these roles in society, I mean, that can add to the overwhelm. Mm-hmm. But if we start with literally, you know, who's in charge of lunch this week and what does that mean and who's going to be handling it from conception through planning through execution? It's it's easier to digest, and it's a starting point. And like most things um, that involve behavioral change, I think starting small is is a good idea. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I'm thinking too, like, how do people end up working with you, and and how does Fair Play get introduced? Is it usually like a couple has just come to complete loggerheads and they're like, I can't deal with this anymore. Lauren, help us figure this out. Or is it typically, you know, one person dragging the other in? Are you, how do you navigate um, getting both people interested in kind of looking at this? Yes. So getting both people interested is, is a good question. And I'll come back to that. Um, In general, there is a group of certified Fair Play facilitators and everyone is listed on the Fair Play Life website. And I also recommend that all of your listeners watch the Fair Play documentary, which is available on most streaming services. It's a really great film. It was produced by Hello Sunshine. Um, And because of the film, because of Eve's work, because of all of these facilitators doing various works all over the the world, really, uh, people come to any of us. Um, Some of us are therapists, some of us are executive coaches, et cetera. And they ask for help with these issues. For me personally, because my practice is women-focused, I see a lot of women on their own who then bring the tools back to their household. And I also see some couples. So that's how people find, you know, me in general. When there's some discrepancy in terms of who wants to implement the system and who doesn't, um, you know, there's like all couples counseling, there might be some resistance in general um, by one or both parties. In ultimately, the couple has to have the shared value of wanting the other person in their relationship to not feel resentment, anger, frustration, et cetera, right? And, you know, maybe my husband, for example, um, doesn't understand why I needed the laundry done, you know, every Sunday night to start the week. I'm making this up, although I do talk about him a lot as an example. (laughs) So maybe he doesn't prioritize it the same way I do. But if I explain, well, this is important to me, he has to be willing to hear that, right? And, And to meet me there. 
for the sake of my happiness. Um, that's not a, a general statement because I can't always have it, you know, my way. That wouldn't be compromising. But in a healthy relationship, even if you're fighting and, you know, getting very frustrated with each other, if you both show up to the table of, well, I want to make this better, you know, I want you to not feel as frustrated. I want to contribute. Um, if you have that overall goal, then there's room to bring in the system. And frankly, if you're getting met with resistance that cannot be overcome, I think that you have to look deep within yourself and question, do we share the same values? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I, I mean, we've been talking a lot in some of the examples we've been using and they're examples because this really tends to be the pattern is that the, the typically dad jobs and tasks, mm -hmm. um, get done in a certain way. And then the typically mom tasks, which can be more labor intensive and emotionally taxing. Um, so then when we're talking about equity, we're often saying like the dads have to stop doing the lawn mowing and all of the fun, relaxing, mm -hmm. fun, maybe not fun, but like the, I get some solo time kind of tasks and need to start helping understand the mom's mental load better and supporting these burnt out moms, which is probably in many cases, hundred percent the truth. Like that's the way it is. But I also think a lot of dads can feel super alienated by mm -hmm. these narratives, right? Dads who are really genuinely showing up and doing tasks and like mowing the lawn, which is really mm -hmm. helpful. And like, you know, I, I'm so mindful of not wanting families to lack the skills to say, I'm going to be able to look at this from your perspective. And how do I take into your, take into account your needs and your perceptions of my needs, mm -hmm. right? Like you are trying to help and I'm getting frustrated nonetheless. So mm -hmm how do I ask for my partner to come meet me in the middle or come to the table and have a conversation about equity in our work when my partner genuinely feels like they are helping mm -hmm. and can perhaps feel like that effort is dismissed by saying we need to renegotiate all the tasks? Mm -hmm. You know, like most, um, couples work using I statements can be incredibly powerful, not accusing the other and also reminding yourself that probably your partner, you know, isn't trying to not listen or trying to make things harder for you. Um, it's, this is all very based in how we are all socialized. And so I do want to make clear that we're not here, you know, blaming men, yelling at men, in our culture, these are the patterns that we see, but I very much agree that, you know, a lot of men that I know personally and professionally are showing up and do want to be equitable in their homes. I recently, I've been working with a couple where they are thinking about having kids soon, and they specifically came to me before they were pregnant to implement fair play because while the man felt like, you know, he did his part and also this big notion of, well, I do half the work, right? It goes back to that half. The woman felt that 
she was carrying way too much of the load and she worried about how that would be exacerbated once they did have kids. And he was, he is the kind of partner, like I said earlier, who is saying, well, you know, I think I do up, but I hear you. I hear that you're frustrated and that you're feeling overwhelmed and I love you and care about you and do want a, an equitable household. So not, it's not tell me what I'm doing wrong and how to fix it. It's how can we collaborate so that we both feel satisfied, fulfilled, respected, appreciated. Mm-hmm. And again, that might, you know, change the following week, if they have a big work assignment or whatever it is, right? It allows for that flexibility. But a tool like Fair Play really opens up the opportunity for being on the same team instead of fighting each other. Yeah. I like that. I think this idea, and even in like parenting, right? It's like, it's, we're on the same team. Mm -hmm. We have the same goals, right? but perhaps how we've envision executing those goals might differ. And so how do we kind of connect with our partnership here? Like I connect as an, with our identity as partners and say like, this is for us. Like this is for us to have health in our relationship, to not build resentment from for either person, right? And I think that's a big way to get people to the table is to say like, hey, you do stuff, a lot of stuff. I need to understand all the things that you do to support this family because you're doing so many of them so that I can show gratitude. And so I can understand how much work you put in. And I want you to know the things that I do and understand all the invisible parts of them so that you can show me gratitude so that neither one of us builds resentment because we know resentment is like a really toxic thing for relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so insidious and it really just kind of festers and grows. And if it grows too big, it can really, really damage trust and safety in relationships. And so it's like, this is um, like prophylactic. This is like Mm -hmm. an inoculation. Like this is your, you know, what do we call it? This is your vaccine. Yeah. (laughs) Resentment. I like that. Right. Instead, I mean, it is reparative depending on the context, but it's, it's proactive. It's not reactive which I think is really important. And I think that people need to be open-minded. I'll give you a quick example of how we recently redistributed a a card. Um, My daughter was getting lunch at school and then decided she's four. So she decided she no longer liked the lunch, even though she eats the same food, you know, every day at home. And the school asked me, because they see me more often, um, okay, you need to make her lunch. I really didn't want to do that. And I felt frustrated with like society, not my husband, but but the way that it was set up that it assumed that I would be the one making the lunch. Um, I, I just really don't like making lunch. So my husband <laughs> said, well, I'll, I'll do it. And he loves making her lunches and like writes her cute, you know, drawings. And he's, it's great. Um, and that wasn't, you know, a task that he was necessarily avoiding, but it was assumed for a variety of reasons that I would do it. I articulated my needs and said, I don't want to do it. And he totally stepped up and I don't think twice about it. And, and it's good. Yeah. That actually, that interesting piece of like not thinking twice, right? Like there, mm-hmm. there's some implication that like, if we allow for someone to take over quote unquote, our jobs, that we feel guilty, mm-hmm. right? That we feel, and I think that's also like, if the teachers are asking the mom to pack mm-hmm. the lunch and the mom asked the dad to pack the lunch, are we in some way 
passing off the job and therefore should feel as though we've just kind of we we just abdicated our our responsibility. We we shirked something. We should feel bad about that. And I mm-hmm. am curious what your take on that is because I think that's such a common experience for moms. Totally. And and it pops up all the time, right? Even chatting with another parent after drop-off, oh, uh, you know, what did you make for lunch today? I'm like, I didn't make the lunch. <laughs> um, and then should I feel bad? I, I have no idea what's in the lunchbox. I just put it in her backpack. Um, you know, like most mom guilt-related things, I am a big fan of self-compassion, which I know you are too. Um, you know, would you tell your friend, you're a terrible mom, that you don't know what's in her lunchbox? No, you wouldn't, right? And so treat yourself the way you would a friend. Um, I also think that maternal gatekeeping rears its head all the time with these issues, understandably. Mm-hmm. And I'm guilty of it too, you know? And, and again, that's why I like fair play because it's flexible. It allows for redealing the deck. You can change your mind. You can mess up quote unquote, and then fix it. Um, my husband said he was going to handle birthday gifts for, for classmates, birthdays for our kids. And then I said to him, well, okay, but tell me exactly what you're getting and when you're getting it. And I need to know all the details. And he said, Lauren, no, I'm, I got it. I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. I said, you're right. My bad. <laughs> um, and what a relief, right? I, 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 yeah. I'm done. Um, yeah. So we all have to practice feeling more comfortable with letting go and taking ownership, you know, on the flip side. I love that. And can you customize this deck? Like what if there's like tasks that are like super unique to your family? Absolutely. So one of the best parts is that you start typically by kind of crossing out or removing from the deck the cards that don't apply. So if you don't have kids, that's a big chunk. If you do have kids, but you know you don't um, live in a house or whatever, there are things you can easily take out. And then, of course, there are things that are specific to your family that you you know you might want to add in or um, add in details. So it's really just a starting point. I love that. And so if people want to learn more about your work, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about fair play, what can, what, what can we, where can we direct them? Sure. So my website is latcounseling.com and I am on Instagram as at the counselor, L-A-U-R. And all of the fair play info, including a new campaign that I think you'll like, which is teaching kids in partnership with Procter & Gamble products, Fair Play and Hello Sunshine are teaching kids about home equity. So it's this new campaign it launched this past week, and I'll send you the info because I know you'll be a big fan. Um, it's Home Ec, Home EQ. All that stuff, the documentary, the book, et cetera, it's at fairplaylife.com. That's so great because I think that this is, you know, it's interesting. We're talking so much about parents and couples and I always say that like whatever you, whenever you can apply a rule to like a parent parent relationship, there is a definite parallel to a parent-child relationship. And like mm-hmm. while I'm not, I wasn't assuming that there was going to be a deck for parents and kids to do, I think that this is a big thing that we, I mean, I'm always thinking about in my family of like, how do I help my children feel like they have ownership and responsibility and how do I foster sort of a, a sense of like just genuine motivation to like do some things. Cause like I'm, uh, I'm ambivalent about like sticker charts and chore charts. I don't actually want to make my, I mean, kids are five and three. I don't want to make them do chores and then have it build this sense of like resentment. 
resentment and also not just resentment, but like a extrinsic motivation, right? Mm -hmm. If I want my kids to help me with the dishes, I'm going to do the dishes with my kids and have it be a source of like connection building and fun and help them teach that skill. And then I totally move myself out of that equation and not just say like, you have to do this because I said you have to do this and that's your job. Um, but I also feel like I want my, you know, I want to help my kids understand why we do these things, right? We're all part of this family. We're all part of this community. We're on the same team. Like we got to help keep this house put together. Like we all live here. Got to get done. Yeah. And again, that's why therapy is so great because it is about the legacy that you're leaving for your kids, the behaviors that you're modeling for them. And if you implement gender equity in your relationship, in your household, it will have far reaching implications in the workplace, in society for the next generation. So that's why I love it. Yeah. Makes it, makes it, it's like a double, double whammy. It's extra, extra useful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great talking with you. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this week's podcast. This episode was all about being intentional in the way that you divide up the responsibilities in your home. When applying this intentionality to your life, whether in your partnership or the decisions you make when raising your children, you are going to start to notice a massive impact. Rather than just doing something because it's the way you've always done it, pause for a moment, reflect on whether what you're doing is getting you closer to achieving your goal or not. If you want support in helping you clear the clutter and focus on what really matters, go to drsarahbrent.com forward slash secure and check out my free guide that will help you understand the four pillars that are most important to focus on when fostering a secure attachment bond. This is going to help you to know what really matters and what is just noise that you can try to tune out. To download this free guide, just go to drsarahbrent.com forward slash secure. Until next week, don't be a stranger.